Welcome to the Juno Files. I'm Jim Juno. I'm the host. And this is where we talk about movies, television, and everything in between. And I have with me tonight a very special guest. You know him if you've watched Turner Classic Movies or in the past, Entertainment Tonight, or um, caught his movie reviews, and you probably read some of his other books. Leonard Malton, welcome to the Juno Files. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Now, let me ask you, where are you coming from tonight? Los Angeles? Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Okay, great. Well, I tell you what, it's an honor and a pleasure having you here tonight. Your new book is called Starstruck. It's the story of your life. Um, you've not written about your life before. Why now? Well, you heard Jules the movie hound making a little noise there. Okay. <laughs> we have our movie hounds right here. So they may, they may make an audio appearance of their own <laughs> later on. <laughs> Uh, why now? Well, uh, in part, the pandemic. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I work at home and I'm a writer. So I get up in the morning and walk down the hallway to my office (laughs) and, uh, and write. Sometimes I'm writing answers to emails. Sometimes it's more, you know, uh, exalted material <laughs> but uh i uh i've reached an age when i i think i am uh, uh in a uh, reflective state of mind and uh i've had some health issues that uh that tend to put you know put one in that frame of mind as well exactly and, uh, and uh, the, the folks who published my last book, uh, Hooked on Hollywood, mm-hmm. expressed interest in this. And uh, there are very few things I can say I'm grateful to the pandemic for. <laughs> but, uh, but in this case, it, it, it worked out really well because it gave me a purpose. It gave me a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And, uh, and, it, and it was a very interesting experience, uh, uh, you know, retracing your own steps in life. That is, that is something which really struck me when I was reading your book. It, it really, you really had one of the most fascinating lives I've ever read about. And not just because of your, of your career as a movie critic or a movie historian or anything like that, but merely the people you have met in your life mm-hmm. has just, I mean, that is just fascinating. Do you have a well, favorite? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Favorite. Well, it's, it's, they're all favorites. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, uh, I was a letter writer when I was, when I was a kid and uh, I wrote to people I admired and got some wonderful responses. Uh, not everybody answered, but, uh, I got some pretty special, uh, re- responses to my initial query or just, uh, you know, sometimes I just wrote and asked for an autograph photo, <laughs> but, uh, my first ambition uh, was to be a cartoonist, not an animator, but a, like a magazine cartoonist. And uh, there, are, there are hardly any magazines at all anymore. Yeah, but, uh, they're, all, they're all online now. Yeah. The, the, of, uh, of the, the last two holdouts for cartoons were, of course, were famously the New Yorker mm-hmm. still prints, you know, a generous number of panel cartoons every week. And uh, Playboy uh, still did that because Hugh Hefner, 
uh, was an amateur cartoonist. Uh, and that was his first pursuit. And uh, so he had a lifelong fondness for and appreciation for cartoons. But when I was, when I was 11 or 12, uh, there were a number of magazines. And in fact, my local library had a book called Drawing and Selling Cartoons. Uh, it was a real guidebook, handbook for, you know, somebody like me who wants to enter this field. Uh, despite a marked lack of uh, talent, uh, <laughs> I, I had the, I had the the interest, the ambition, but I, I needed uh, needed somebody to take me by the hand and uh, you know uh, give me useful advice. So anyway, this is a very long winded way of saying I wrote to Charles M. Schultz, and and I sent him some samples of my cartoons, and he took the time answer me and to give me advice on peanut stationery <laughs> and enclosed an, a daily original. Oh, wow. Signed daily peanuts original, which of course is still on my wall here. And 30 years later, I got to meet him. I got hired wonderful circle of life moment. I got hired by United uh, media which had been called the United Feature Syndicate, uh, to go up to Santa Rosa, California, uh, and to interview him to, to create a video that would uh, accompany a museum tour for Peanuts, I think, 35th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Don't hold me to that, but I think it was the 35th anniversary. And so as we were, uh, as they were setting the cameras and tweaking the lights, I told him what I just told you. Because uh, he had no, would have no reason to, you know, remember my name, and he jumped out of his chair and said, "Well, we got to get you something more current than that." And he went and started rifling through the Sunday pages of recent vintage, found one that he liked, and signed it to my wife and me. Only this one he signed Sparky. Oh wow! His nickname to all friends and close family. Well, so you know. If you don't count that a special day, you're dead from the neck up. Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, but it's not the only special day like that. I've, I, I've had great good fortune. Well, one of the first ones in your book you mentioned, I believe it was when you were a, uh, well, a kid um, or much younger, I'll say it that way, um, was Buster Keaton. Yes, I was, I was 13 years old, and I can actually date that because – the impetus for that event happening was a story in the New York Times, and I have the clipping. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I know exactly when, I believe it was August of 1964. Uh, I lived in the suburbs of New York, in Teaneck, New Jersey. And my best friend and I had made up to go to the city for the day. We used to go to used bookstores and revival theaters, and we had a circuit. And uh, before we left to catch the bus over the George Washington Bridge, my parents got the New York Times delivered every day, and I was rifling through it and found this article that Buster Keaton was making a film in downtown Manhattan in, this is an exact quote, alongside a dilapidated warehouse 
in the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge. Wow. And I said to Lewis, you know, this is our shot. This is our once in a lifetime opportunity. Well, let's try to figure out where that is. And I had just bought a couple of stills at a local used bookstore, including one that I couldn't identify. So I put it in a, in a manila envelope and took it along. And that was my icebreaker. Uh, we, we took the subway down to Canal Street. When we got to the surface, there were like empty lots, that just bulldozed some buildings. And about two, three blocks away, we saw a couple of reflectors and lights and walked in that direction. And there were no security people around. There was really, if you didn't know they were making a film, you wouldn't know they were making a film, except for those props that uh, were the giveaway. And they're sitting in the back seat of a car with his pork pie hat next to him on the seat, reading a newspaper was Buster Keaton. It was <laughs> unbelievable. And I kind of poked my head in the, the rear window and I said, uh, Mr. Keaton, he said, yeah. I said, uh, I found this still and I don't know what film it's from. Could you possibly identify it for me? And he took it and he said, oh yeah, it's parlor, bedroom and bath. He said, but that's not the gal I did the scene with. Maybe this was a rehearsal. I said, would you mind signing it? No, he had a ballpoint pen and he signed it. And wow. that was my entree and exit. I mean, I didn't know how to keep up a conversation uh, at that moment with a guy who obviously was not outgoing, you know, uh, if he didn't know you already. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I got to introduce my, my friend Lewis and we both, we had our moment with Buster Keaton. See, your career, you, your career has spanned, <clears throat> excuse me, from the um, from print to radio to TV, and now you're online with LeonardMalton.com. And I'm just, it, it seems like, well, like me, I seem to be trying to reinvent myself from radio days up to now. And it goes from radio, mine goes from radio to, to uh, internet. Uh, but do you see that? Do you see that in your career where, where you went from one media to another? Well, I have a very specific uh, answer for that, which is uh, the man who gave me my job at Entertainment Tonight, which brought me into the world of television. I'd been a freelance writer up to mm -hmm. then. Uh, and he gave me my, my break in television. And then a couple of years later, after he uh, moved on from Entertainment Tonight, he was hired to be the editor-in-chief of a new website called Prodigy. I remember that. Mm -hmm. It was co-owned by IBM and RCA, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. And he hired me to write a column. So he dragged me <laughs> into the online world about which I knew nothing. I knew less than nothing. Uh, <laughs> And I'm not a, um, uh, I'm not, not a Luddite. I, I just, uh, it's a, I'm a low-tech person in a high-tech world. But Prodigy had certain requirements. You, every uh, paragraph had to be 11 lines long, I think. Wow. <laughs> That's how much they could reveal. Uh, uh, how oh, much I see type that. They, could, they could show it in a window. So, uh, 
an article had to be broken down into uh, chunks, 11 line chunks. <laughs> but, but anyway, and I started getting people writing to me and, and uh, the nuts came out of the woodwork immediately. Oh yeah. Immediately. Uh, uh, and uh, which seems to be a hallmark of each new <laughs> medium that comes along or platform. Uh, in the old days, I used to get, the first time I got published, my first book came out, I started getting uh, wacky mail from people. And I used to say, uh, it's a shame these people can afford a postage stamp. <laughs> <laughs> but now, of course, you know, anybody can go to the public library and, you know, send or, a, or a, have a cell phone email. That's right. Now you got now in your book, I'm going to, what I loved about reading your book was I, I was able to skip around because I was like, oh, wait a minute. He met, he met uh, <laughs> Betty Davis. And I want to read about that. And, you know, and all that. And the, during the glamour days of, of, I mean, of course they were on the tail end of their careers. I would imagine by the time you saw them, but yeah. they still had all that legend behind them. Did anyone make you nervous? Oh, uh, I, I get nervous all the time. Um, hey, guess what? A scam like me. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Good old um, scam. I wonder what ever became of him. Hey, you know. <laughs> Do you I, get uh, nervous? I, I have a new friend, by the way. My new friend is named Spam Risk. <laughs> I hear from him a lot. <laughs> I hear from Scam Likely every so often. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I do get nervous. But the uh, the the trick is to work through that and not let on that I'm nervous. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> I remember uh, you talk about, thank goodness for TCM, Turner Classic Movies in your book. Now, I can remember the time when Ted Turner bought, I believe it was the MGM library. Mm -hmm. And he got crucified uh in whatever media was around at that time T newspapers tv whatever because they said he's going to colorize all these old movies and ruin them and everything you know but he really has done a service with with turner classic movies hasn't he absolutely uh he he got sold on colorization for a while and um and then the moment passed. Mm -hmm. uh, thank goodness. Yes. <laughs> and uh, he, he uh, uh, set up this new channel. And uh, his, the people he deputized to uh, do the heavy lifting for all that uh, had no use for colorization. And, uh, and Mr. Turner was, uh, was on to the next thing. So uh, uh, it all worked out in the end. Tell me how you landed at TCM. Um, well, I, I, try, I tried to get hired by, <laughs> by the Turner organization before TCM uh, when they did TNT. TNT was their first TNT, new yes. network. Well, I guess WTBS was their entree right. into, into broadcast. Channel 17. Mm -hmm. Right out of Atlanta, though it was on a satellite, uh, what, what they used to call a super station. 
Yes, that's right. There was WGN and WTBS. Right. Uh, I don't think I've used that word in years <laughs> or thought about it in years, but you're, you're unlocking one little cavern in my brain. Uh, WTBS uh, uh, was this, this super station, and then he started an offshoot called TNT. Mm-hmm. And that's where he started airing the old MGM and Warner Brothers movies that he bought. And um, they, they were doing uh, two-hour specials. Uh, Sharon Stone uh, presents Gene Harlow. Right. Uh, in, in a, uh, people, current stars paying tribute to vintage stars. And I went and had a meeting <laughs> uh, with uh, one of their program executives and, and I, I, I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to make this happen. I, I said, what I wanted to say was just hire me. Yeah. <laughs> just hire me and let me run loose in, in your vault, your proverbial vault. And uh, I'll come back with good stuff that you know, people will want to see. And uh, this executive did not see it that way. <laughs> and, no, uh, we're not going to do that. No. <laughs> no, no, it's not on our agenda. Uh, but when TCM uh, came along, um, uh, Robert Osborne, they did a great job of choosing Robert oh, Osborne. Fantastic. Uh, uh, lovely guy. Uh, who, who He was the real thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he really, really loved and cared about uh, movie history and about Hollywood and, and, and had a wide circle of friends and acquaintances. Uh, then they decided that then they, they put together their first film festival in Hollywood, TCM Classic Film Festival. And there was only one problem. Robert Osborne couldn't be in two places at one time. <laughs> and I think that's how I got hired uh, to host some of those events. And uh, I know that's how I got hired so some of those <laughs> events and had uh, a great, great time. I'm not the only one who, who helped, you know, mm-hmm. fill in for him at, uh, at that festival. Very, very tight schedule, very um, dense schedule spread over a mere three and a half, four days. So uh, I think that's the first thing I did for them. And then they, they, uh, uh, hinted that maybe there was some stuff I could do on air as well. And that initially turned out to be introducing Walt Disney movies. They contracted uh, for uh, access to the Disney library for about four years. And I having built an association with Disney, writing a book and then producing and hosting a series of DVDs called the Walt Disney treasures. Mm-hmm. Uh, was my entree to doing the same thing on TCM for about four years until Disney said, oh, you know what, we're going to start our own channel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so goodbye now. We know where the money is. Hey, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there was no bad blood or anything. It's just that the, 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 uh, the deal expired. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so now I, I make occasional appearances. I think uh, in acting terms, you say I, I have a recurring role. <laughs> You're a special guest star. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Now, everybody, everybody asks me what my favorite movie is when I'm talking movies, but I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you, what's your favorite movie? Casablanca. Casablanca. I saw them. I was misinformed. Uh, pillow in back of you there. Yes. <laughs> That's from the late and still lamented Warner Brothers store. Oh, wow. Okay. They had a chain of stores like the Disney store. Mm-hmm. And um, they, uh, as I said, they're, they had a catalog as well. I was their best customer. I <laughs> and uh, this was on closeout. And it's my favorite line of dialogue. Casablanca. I was misinformed. Yes, I came to Casablanca for the waters, but we're in the desert. <laughs> now, let me ask you: your favorite movie is Casablanca. What is your what is your least favorite movie? Well, I, I don't know that I have an actual least favorite movie. The movie I often cite as the worst movie I've ever seen is uh, the. Uh, uh, that's up there. I remember right your, up there. I remember your review from that when you, you, you were, you were like had minute reviews or something like that on the local yep. news. And it was one word. <laughs> it was, you had the music from Pennsylvania, six, 5,000 at the very exactly. end. You go yep. stinks. <laughs> yep. I tell you, I, see, yep. I have a, I have a penchant for bad sci-fi movies people look at well, me when i'm crazy you know so uh when i was a kid i saw a lot of those uh, as kitty matinee fodder mm-hmm. and uh and i have a, a certain affection for them uh, uh maximum overdrive i just had to cheat and look online to remind myself that's the only film stephen king directed yeah he said that he was tired of people taking his novels and short stories and ruining them. Uh, on, so he ruined the them screen. himself, huh? <laughs> he did this one all by himself, yeah. This is about the demonic trucks. That's right. It was like Transformers on steroids. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So, um, you, now, you mentioned uh, Playboy, Hugh Hefner, a little bit earlier, how he was a cartoonist and stuff, but you mentioned in your book, he really, he really was a trailblazer um, in his later years. I mean, well, I don't want to say later years, but he saved the Hollywood sign. Twice. He, uh, twice. Yeah, twice. Yes. First, uh, when when the, the uh, sign was in desperate need of uh, restoration, mm-hmm. uh, literally falling apart, uh, and uh, he bought, you, you could buy a letter. I forgot which letter yeah. he bought. Maybe an H, but, but you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, that would have made sense. Yes, uh, but then years later, uh, the the property on which that sign rests, uh, overlooking Hollywood on one side and the, the other end of this, uh, toward the San Fernando Valley, it, it seems that the city did not own that land, city of Los Angeles, and there there was a, a speculator hovering over it that, you know, would have made it impossible to go up there to see the sign and uh, would have been intrusive and unwelcome on any, anybody's uh, scorecard. And uh, Hef wrote a check for $900,000 <laughs> and bought the land. 
and uh, he, as a private individual, you know, yeah, not not a city agency, not a charitable organization. He just did it because that's how much he cared about. It. And he also, like you say in your book, he also closed down the uh, the Playboy clubs who would not allow African uh, American customers in there. And that's that's true. And he also uh, featured uh, a lot of black performers uh, on his TV series. That's right. Early Play TV series, Playboy's Penthouse and Playboy love, After Dark. Love Playboy's and, Penthouse. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, and, and that's precious stuff. It's precious footage. And it not only, not, not only shows them performing, but mingling with the white guests or yes. white guests mingling with them. Depending on how you want to want to put that, but uh, uh, he uh, he he was a crusader in his own way uh, for uh, you know for free free speech was crucial uh, because uh, he battled postal authorities for a long time about mailing that that magazine, and uh, he uh, uh, someone did a documentary about his his work in this arena uh for uh for years for years and years and years now there's some people who call him a pornographer mm -hmm. uh, i i don't i don't believe that uh and there are some people who uh, took him to task for, for uh objectifying women mm -hmm. and uh i don't think that's true either but this is all a matter of opinion exactly uh, and his magazine, and yes, there, I mean, I'm not going to use the old line. I bought Playboy for the articles. The articles, um, yeah. But when you look at the magazine, you get past the uh, the pictures of the women and stuff. There are some incredible writing in the magazine, or at least it used to be. Well, he published uh, James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. He published uh, Shel Silverstein. He published well, one of my favorites, Gene Shepard. Yeah. Uh, uh, and a wide variety of, of, of uh, notable uh, authors and, uh, and cartoonists. Oh, yeah. And um, I was going to ask you real quick. Now, you mentioned earlier in, in the uh, interview uh, health issues. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm sitting here talking to you. <laughs> that could, that could uh, have devastating effects, okay? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, if, if, there, if there's an aftershock then uh, i'll be sure to let you know okay. so, so i can so i can lure you into the the guilt that comes with any such encounter nine years uh, of catholic uh, school good luck okay <laughs> uh i was diagnosed with parkinson's disease seven years ago and um uh it's it's no fun but uh, uh medication has has really made a difference and uh, exercise, and uh, uh, and I I'm I'm getting by. I am slower, no question about that. And we all sometimes we're, we're, sometimes words get stuck in my mouth, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm a little clumsier than I've never I've, I've been a klutz my whole life, but I'm a little clumsier uh, in recent times. But I can still type. And I can still talk and uh, and uh, manage to get around. And so I, I think I'm doing OK. 
Fantastic. Well, Leonard Moulton, it's been a great pleasure talking to you today. The uh, book is Starstruck. It comes out comes out today. in today. I was going to say I was, knew it was either today or tomorrow. Yes, it comes out today, which is October 12th. Again, thank you for being on the Juno Files. My pleasure.